أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وآله الطاهرين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله Brothers and sisters and welcome to session number 29 of the A Lesson Per Page Quran program We reached uh, page number 118 of the Holy Quran and so let us begin from there Page number 118 God's hands are tied, excuse me, who in their right mind would ever say anything like that? Well, the Qur'an is telling us that some people did say something like that. Um, and so we'll get into the story and then uh, what we get out of that story, inshallah, after we recite the verse or yeah, the verse of this page. This is verse number 64 of the Holy Quran of, of Surah Al-Ma'idah, excuse me. Um, let us begin insha'Allah. A'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajeem. Wa qalatil yahudu yadullahi maghlulah ghullat aydihim wa lu'inu bima qalu bal yadahu mabsutatani yunfiqu kayfa yasha' وَلَيَزِيدَنَّ كَثِيرًا مِّنْهُمْ مَا أُنزِلَ إِلَيْكَ مِنْ رَبِّكَ تُغْيَانًا وَكُفْرًا وَأَلْقَيْنَا بَيْنَهُمُ الْعَدَاوَةَ وَالْبَغْضَاءَ إِلَى يَوْمِ الْقِيَامَةِ كُلَّمَا أَوْقَدُوا نَارًا لِلْحَرْبِ أَطْفَأَهَا اللَّهِ وَيَسْعَوْنَ فِي الْأَرْضِ فَسَادًا وَاللَّهُ لَا يُحِبُّ الْمُفْسِدِينَ The Jews say Allah's hand is tied up. So speaking about the Jews of that time, of the Holy Prophet's time, they made a statement like this. They said, Allah's hand is tied up. The Qur'an goes on to say, Tied up be their hands, and cursed be they for what they say. Rather, his two hands are wide open. He bestows as he wishes. Surely many of them will be increased by what has been sent to you from your Lord in rebellion and unfaith. So it says, surely many of them will be increased. Increased what? Rebellion and unfaith. Right. So what, the, what this part of the verse is saying is that you know when we send down to you verses like these, they will only get even worse in their rebellion and in their unfaith. So that's what it's saying here. And we have cast enmity and hatred amongst them until the day of resurrection. Every time they ignite the flames of war, Allah puts them out. They seek to cause corruption on the earth and Allah does not like the agents of corruption. We do have to understand, brothers and sisters, if Allah is getting in the way of things according to this verse, it's not like He's going to always stop anyone from any evil that they want to do, of course. But all in all, it seems to be saying here in this verse that if they could, they would cause a lot more corruption. O Prophet Okay, so let's talk about the story behind this. Because this is something very big to say. That Allah's hand is tied. What does that mean, tied up? Um, the story that it goes like this, what they have mentioned in the books, in the Tafasir, is that the Yahud and the Bani Israel, they used to have a lot of power. And you can say the peak of that power uh, was during the times of Prophet Dawood and Prophet Sulaiman that they had it going for themselves. The Bani Israel, they were in power, Prophet Sulaiman being at the top, 
Prophet Dawood being at the top. And so those were the good times. But slowly after those prophets, things started to go down a little bit to the point where the uh, Bani Qaynuqa', Bani Nadir, Bani Qurayla, the Yahud of Khaybar, these people, they were eventually defeated by the Holy Prophet. Of course, they had peace treaties with the Prophet But the thing is that after the Battle of Ahzab, the Prophet knew that these people are not living up to um, their end of the bargain and deal and treaty. Um, they were helping somewhat the Mushrikeen in the Battle of Ahzab so that they can overthrow and defeat the Holy Prophet So anyway, that itself is another story and, and a part of history to be studied. But they were really um, weakened a lot. In, and during the Prophet's time, there wasn't really anything special about them anymore. And so um, it is narrated, or you find in the Tafasir books, that this verse was revealed in response to some of them who were sitting and, you know, uh, remembering the good times. Remembering the times where they were in power, when they had a lot of power, some of these Bani Israel. And so they're saying, man, those were good times, but it doesn't look like God's going to help us. God's hand is chained. In other words, God can't help us at all. Right? And so the Qur'an really reproaches them for this statement that they made. But the question is this, why would they say such a thing about God? Do they really believe in it? Where, did it, where does this stem from actually? What's the origin of such a, a statement that is made? Is there an ideology behind this? And the answer based on the hadiths that we have is that yes, the Bani Israel of that time, they believed that um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He created everything of course, right? He created the heavens and earth and the universe and everything and and human the human being and all of that. And so he, after He did that, after He created creation, what he did was he did tafweed. Yes, this is a theological uh, concept that we have when it comes to our free will and when it comes to how much God intervenes in this uh, creation of His. Um, these types of things. And when it comes to these types of uh, discussions in theology, there will be three major ideologies or three major schools of thought, you can say. The first one being Jabr. That when Allah created everything, He also um, dictated the fate of everything to it as well. And no one has any say in what they do. In other words, it's as if we don't have free will. We don't have free will. God has decided for us what we're going to do, what we're not going to do, what our fates are going to look like. That's called Jabr. And you can also use the word predestination maybe for it as well predestination, predetermination, and all of that. There's a flip side. There's a whole other side of the spectrum as well. And another extreme here that holds that we have tafweed. Meaning what? Tafweed means when you delegate something to somebody else. That Allah, when He created creation, it's not that He he He's the one who dictates how everyone's going to act, how what everyone's fate is going to look like. As a matter of fact, God creates and, you know, kind of deserts, let's say. That's a word that I'm just using. Or leaves to its own, leaves things to their own. 
um, and on their own. Things are on their own after God has created them. Meaning what? Meaning God could care less what happens after He has created. Care less meaning care less in intervening, care less in having anything to do with anything. It is just us and whatever we decide to do. This is called tafwid. God has nothing to do with us anymore. God has nothing to do with His creation anymore. Then, of course, the Shi'i school of thought has something in between that says that it's not Jabr or Tafweed, but rather it is Amrun Bain al-Amrain, very famously known as the Amrun Bain al-Amrain um, notion of, the, uh, of this matter, which holds that, look, it's not that Allah created, and so now we have no say once He has created us in what we do, in what our fates are going to look like, but at the same time, it's not that God has nothing to do with anything either. No. In the end, He is the one who is giving permission for everything to take place. In other words, if He doesn't want, it won't take place. Fire always burns. Does that mean that now fire can, will always burn no matter what? No, if Allah doesn't give permission, it won't burn, as was the case with Prophet Ibrahim. When he was flung into the fire, the Quran clearly says, "Qulna ya naru kuni bardan wa salaman ala Ibrahim," that O oh fire, you have to be cool and peaceful upon Ibrahim. And so we intervened there, Allah says, and we changed it up. It's not going to do what it wants to do. So it's not like once God has created fire, fire will be fire and will always burn. If Allah doesn't give permission, it won't burn. The problem with us is that we only see the cases where Allah has retracted His permission. And we're like, oh, that's a case where Allah didn't give permission. We see Allah in those cases. But the reality and truth of the matter is, especially based on verses of the Qur'an, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is actively involved in everything that's taking place. If fire is burning today, tomorrow, the day after tomorrow, at this hour, at that hour, in all of these cases, the same way Allah didn't give permission for it to burn during Prophet Ibrahim's time, that same way he is involved as much when it comes to the fire burning in all of the other cases. The thing is with us, we've gotten used to the law of causality, the law, the law of cause and effect in this world, and we feel like that you know, when, thing, when a cause brings about its certain respective effect, that Allah had nothing to do with it. No, no, no. Allah has everything to do with it, the same way he, the same way he has everything to do with when fire does not burn. Okay? This is, the to this is a, a perspective of Tawheed that the Qur'an gives us, that look, Allah is involved in everything. Don't think He's not involved. Just because you've gotten used to everything having its effect, every cause out there having its effect, that means that Allah has nothing to do. No, Allah is giving permission even for those causes that have their effect, for them to, to be able to have their effect. I'll give an example, and I always use this example when I'm explaining. Tawheed Af'ali, um, and that is that <clears throat> take for example a, a uh, big warehouse that has all these robotic arms in it. These robotic arms are creating and making cars. They're manufacturing cars in that big warehouse and factory. Okay, so all these robotic arms that are working non-stop and putting together cars Think about it, if the electricity that is running all of these robotic arms, all of it goes to one button, 
that I have to be holding down for the electricity to work and for those robotic arms to work. Those robotic arms might be proud of themselves, you know, hey, look, we're doing this work, we're getting these cars made and all that. I mean, if they have brains, of course, these robotic arms. But at the same time, they can't be too proud of themselves, although they can pat themselves on the back a little, but they can't be too proud of themselves. Why? Because all it takes is for me to lift my finger off of that button and before you know it, those robotic arms can't do anything. Now, while those robotic arms are working, they might not, they might not notice, they might not acknowledge and see me also being involved because they've gotten used to it. My finger is always on the button, right? The moment I take my hand off is when they're like, oh my God, there was something else involved as well that we were not aware of. That's only when they stop working though. But while they're working, it's like a fish in water. It's like a fish in water. When a fish is in water, if you tell the fish about water, it's like I don't know what you're talking about, right? Because this fish has always been in water. It doesn't feel like there's something out there that is is that this fish is inside of, is engulfed by. The only time a fish will know what water is when it's taken out of water. <laughs> yes. Here also, this Tawheed Af'ali, they call it, which means that there's a hierarchy of causes and effects. Yes, I am the final cause. I am the one who makes the final decision. But at the end of the day, God is at the top giving permission for all of this. When we are making these decisions, when the causes bring about their effects, you know, it's normal, standard procedure for us. So we don't remember, sometimes we forget that no, even here Allah is actively involved. The only time we understand this is when Allah actually does not give permission. And usually Allah is giving permission. And so we forget. One out of a billion cases maybe Allah might not give permission to things to happen. Like in the case of Prophet Ibrahim salam, And in other cases, I don't want to use the word one in a billion of course. Uh, but usually uh, Allah is not going to intervene. But His lack of intervention, the way we can see it, in a way we can see it, doesn't mean that he is not involved. That's why this verse is super important. Surah Al-Rahman, uh, verse 29. Uh, and then 30, 30 comes after it. It says, That every day Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is involved in something. There is something that he's involved with and involved in. Right? This is of course metaphorical. It symbolizes what? It symbolizes the fact that when you say every day Allah is busy with something, that means that he's not just sitting there in, in, in an idle state and not being involved. No, as a matter of fact, he is actively involved. This is a very key verse. يَسْأَلُهُ مَنْ فِي السَّمَوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ Everyone in the heavens and earth, yes, is asking him, is in need of him, needs his permission. He's at the top of that hierarchy of causes and effects. They're all in need of him and he is actively involved every day in something, meaning every second he is involved in something. Now, there's one little point here that I want to point out um, in the verse and that is where it said, Allah's hand is tied up tied up be their hands. If you can see, I've underlined it as well. Allah's hand is tied up. So the Yahud, they said Allah's hand is tied up. But then what is Allah's response? Allah's response is 
His two hands are wide open. بَلْ يَدَاهُ مَبْسُوطَتَانَ His hands are open actually. Here uh, Mufassirin have pointed out this nice point that they, they said Allah has one hand as if, but Allah when He talks about Himself, about himself He says, I have two hands. Now of course we all know that this is also metaphorical here and that God doesn't have hands to begin with, one, two, ten, twenty, or a hundred even, right? But Allah is making a point here, you limit, limited me to one hand, as a matter of fact I have two hands and I'm giving with two-handedly all the time. Yes, abundantly. Don't think that I am not involved in things. I have nothing to do with creation after I have created it. No, no, this tafweed, this delegation is not something that is accurate and Allah is scolding them. They have no right to speak of Allah in that way. Uh, Allah has every right to be upset because, because He is doing so much. Just because we don't see it doesn't mean that it's not there. Page number 119 of the Holy Qur'an. O Messenger, inform the people. So if you remember, we talked about this, uh, we had uh, a few sessions ago, we had this idea of um, the story of Ghadir and Surah Al-Ma'idah speaking of the story of Ghadir. And if you remember there I said that um, we will have another page that will discuss this as well, and that is this page, page number 119 of the Holy Qur'an, and that is verse number 67 of Surah Al-Ma'idah. So let's recite the verse and then discuss it a little bit. The verse says, يَا أَيُّهَا الرَّسُولُ بَلِّغْ مَا أُنزِلَ إِلَيْكَ مِنْ رَبِّكَ وَإِنْ لَمْ تَفْعَلْ فَمَا بَلَّغْتَ رِسَالَتَهُ وَاللَّهُ يَعْصِمُكَ مِنَ النَّاسِ O Apostle, communicate that which has been sent down to you from your Lord. And if you do not, you will not have communicated His message. And Allah shall protect you from the people. Indeed, Allah does not guide the faithless lot. Okay. This verse is referred to as Ayatul Tabligh, the verse of Tabligh. Balligh. Uh, is a verb um, and uh, it's an imperative verb and its infinitive form will be tabligh. Okay, to do tabligh means to make something reach a certain point and usually it is used for when you're informing people of something, when you're teaching and preaching people the word tabligh is used. Okay, so here the Prophet is ordered to deliver a message and inform the people of something. Okay. The story is a very famous one. We spoke about it a little bit in our previous session, and I don't want to go into the details of the story of Ghadir. Yes, we all know that the Holy Prophet after the final Hajj on his way back to Medina, he was ordered to deliver a message. The Shi'i school of thought very, very strongly believes that this was the message of Wilaya. This was this was the message of the Khilafah of Ali ibn Abi Talib السلام, after, to, after the Holy Prophet that Imam Ali was in this story, um, although we do not believe this is, not the, this is the only time the Prophet pointed this out, but this is when it was, you can say, maybe very officially announced that Ali ibn Abi Talib is going to be my successor after me. Now, 
the Prophet, according to some you know historical accounts, he wanted to deliver this message, but he just wasn't sure when to do this, and he was worried a little bit that it won't be the right time, and what, what are the people going to do about this uh, message that he wants to deliver? Because it is a very sensitive one. It is something that, from the beginning of his prophethood, you know, it was being brought up, and some people were discussing it. Some people were interested in it. Meaning what? Meaning that they were interested in being the ones to succeed him. Um, in the beginning, when he was, he didn't have too many followers. Actually, there was a tribe that came to him and said, "We will embrace the faith, but you have to promise us that we will succeed you. After you, we will we will be your successors after you." To which the Prophet ﷺ responded that, "No, this is not a matter that's in my hands that I can just pass out to others. It's something that Allah has to decide on. Who will my successor be?" So this is something that. Uh, you will find um, being of the utmost importance from the beginning. And so because of this, the Prophet ﷺ is aware of the sensitivity of the issue. And so he is worried, they say. He was worried when the exact time should be that he um, delivers this message until the verse says, Ya ayyuhar rasul, ballig ma unzila ilaykum ar rabbik. And so this is where next to that little pond of water, that little ghadir, they call it of Khum, that Ghadir whose name was Khum, uh, that little pond that whose name was Khum. This is where he uh, delivered this message to the people. Now, of course, this is one of the most controversial topics, brothers and sisters, um, between the Shi'i school of thought and other schools of thought, namely the Sunni school of thought. And so there will be a lot of discussions and volumes upon volumes of works. Um, scholarly works in regards to how, what this verse is all about and similar verses like these and the hadith of Ghadir and so on. We don't want to get into that of course. That I will, we will defer to other, uh, other books and other works that are out there and maybe other courses that even uh, we will have in the future maybe. Uh, although from what I remember uh, that we have already had a presentation on uh, this verse um, in that presentation called Verses of Wilaya that was delivered by Shaykh Mahdi Rastani. But um, yeah, so these are for other, to, to go into details, that is for another time. What I want to share with you right now is that some of the points that have been mentioned that show how this uh, verse has to do with something very significant. Not It's not your normal everyday verse, okay? Um, Number one point is that it says, Ya ayyuhar rasul. Risala means message. Okay? A rasul is a messenger, a person that's supposed to deliver a message. The verse doesn't say, Ya ayyuhar nabi, like, O prophet. It says, Ya ayyuhar rasul. O messenger, the one who is bearing a message, who has a message that he has to deliver. Okay, this is important here. Why? Because this has only been mentioned twice. This wording here has only been mentioned twice in the Holy Quran. Okay? And so it shows that this is significant. This is a significant matter. And uh, the, the Holy Prophet is being referred to and addressed with this special, um, this special wording here. And that there, it shows that there's, some, there's a special reason here. Okay, so we're trying to highlight the significance of this matter. The fact that it says Balligh itself, Balligh, 
there are two aspects to this. Number one, Balligh is has only been mentioned once in the Quran, and that's here. The Prophet is never said, is never ordered to Balligh. It'll say Qul, yeah, it'll say, Oh Prophet, like you know, Qul lil mu'minin min absarihim, for example. Tell the mu'minin to do this, tell the mu'minin to do that. But here it's saying Balligh. Never have we had such a verb in the Quran addressing the Prophet. Also, the term, the fact that Balligh has been used instead of Abligh, because we also have this verb, Abligh. Abligh also means the same thing as Balligh, but there is more emphasis with Balligh versus Abligh. So these are showing that, okay, there's something special going on here. The fact that this verse hasn't come in the beginning of the Risala and the prophethood of the Prophet but rather this verse is coming in Surah Al-Ma'idah, which is one of the last surahs um, that was revealed unto the Prophet One of the last ones, or if not the last one. So that's something to look into and think about as well. Uh, the fact that it says um, that if you don't do this, وَإِلَّمْ تَفْعَلَ If you don't do this, فَمَا بَلَّغْتَ رِسَالَتَهُ if you don't do this, if you don't deliver this message, then you have not delivered the message in its entirety, the, enti the entire message of your Lord. Fama balakta risalata. You have not uh, communicated Allah's message to the people, right? Someone here might say, "Well, it's saying no. It's talking about that special message, brothers and sisters. This is not how people talk." Allah in the Quran won't say, oh, oh Prophet, if you, I want you to deliver the message. If you don't deliver the message, you haven't delivered that message that you didn't deliver. That, 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 that doesn't make sense. It's like saying, hey, uh, you know, give me $5. If you don't give me $5, you haven't given me $5. Well, duh, no one talks like that, right? It's not saying, oh Prophet, deliver the message. If you don't deliver the message, you haven't delivered the message. Duh. <laughs> No, no, it's speaking about the message in its entirety. The message and mission that you had, O Prophet, these 23 years that you came and were trying to accomplish something, MashaAllah, you did it all. But if you do not finish it off with this message that you're supposed to deliver, your whole mission is gone. Your whole mission has, uh, is go has gone down the drain. Yes, so this also is something to think about. What is going on here? Is this just something normal? Is this your everyday verse? Is this your everyday message? Or is it something else? And then it says, Wallahu yasimuka min nas that Allah says, I will protect you from the people. Well, wait a minute. We're talking about the Prophet who doesn't fear for his life. Come on, he's always been on the battlefield. He's always um, you know, fought <clears throat> against the mushrikeen. He's always, even when he didn't have an army and support, before he went to Medina, when he was in Mecca, what did he do? He made huge claims that the mushrikeen did not like and you know his life was in danger as a result of that. And he had to eventually flee Mecca because of his life being in danger. Alright, so he is going to deliver the message if he needs to. What's going on here then? Is he really, is he really fearing for his life here when Allah says, I will protect you from the people? Or what is he fearing? Or is he fearing that the people are going to go against him and all of a sudden Islam might be in danger? These are little things to, to think about. Because we know he doesn't fear for his life. 
and he is he knows that it is the end of his life is near anyway because you know that is one of the things they say he said in that final sermon of his at the same time we know that another another point here that you know really shows there's something special going on here is that um is that we already know that tawhid if this is in Surah Ma'idah, and Surah Ma'idah is one of the last surahs of the Qur'an that was revealed to the Prophet, we know for a fact that Tawheed now has really been, um, has really been emphasized enough. Um, Tawheed, Nubuwa, Ma'ad, these things, the, the message for these things have been has been delivered. The 600 plus pages of the Qur'an, that's all they're talking about. And this is the last surah or one of the last surahs that is revealed to the Prophet. So we know that Tawheed has been covered already. Yawmul Qiyamah has been covered already, especially in the Meccan surahs, which a lot of them, if not all of them, are the 30th juz of the Holy Qur'an. What's, what's it talking about in those Meccan surahs? All of it's, all it's talking about the punishment of the hereafter, Yawmul Qiyamah, Jannah, Jahannam, all these things, right? All of these things have been hammered into these people's minds already. So this message that the Prophet has to deliver, no one can say, oh, this is a message of Tawheed, because if there's no Tawheed, then uh, you know it's as if there's no Islam. No, 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 these have already been delivered enough. right? Someone might say, no, okay, it's not talking about Tawheed, Nubuwa, Ma'ad, you know, prophethood, resurrection, and all of that, Day of Judgment. These have been hammered home, but it's talking about you know salat and fasting and hajj and all of these things. Well, no, no, no. These have also been uh, explained and emphasized enough. Aqimu salah, aqimu salah, atu zakah. Yes. Lillahi ala nasi hajjul bayt. Man istata'a ilayhi sabila. Whoever can perform hajj can has to perform hajj. So all of these matters have already been emphasized enough. So all of this shows that there's something special here. Right, there's something special that has not maybe been emphasized the way it should be till now. It has been mentioned maybe here and there, but now's the time to really hit the nail on the head and to really get this message to the people. And so, this is where, brothers and sisters, we have to start thinking for ourselves. Put aside any biases we have, okay. Put aside any of any any tribalism that we might have, and look at it with all of these context clues, and then that's when the hadiths that we find in the Shi'i books, in the Sunni books, so many of them, it'll be easier for us to accept them, brothers and sisters. This is super important here. It'll be easier for us to accept them. But the problem is that for some reason, we find that although there's a lot of hadiths. That have, or you know, many chains of a hadith for for the story behind this that have been mentioned in Shi'i and Sunni sources. There are still many who, uh, of course, not from the Shi'i school, who will not accept, and they are not convinced. Well, that's between them and Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. If they honestly really are not convinced, that's another story. But if a person is going to let their bias get the best of them, then they might be held accountable on the day of judgment. So this is something very very scary here. But uh, you know the scholars have tried their best to uh, figure this verse out, and so I will point out that you know our scholars have said this. They have said that they are surprised that when it comes to accepting the shatn and nazul of a verse, when we look at other verses, 
you will find that those who are not from the Shi'i school of thought, they will easily accept Sha'n al-Nuzuls through one or two hadiths. But when it comes to this matter, all of a sudden, when you have a lot more Sha'n al-Nuzuls, uh, excuse me, a lot more hadiths for this, not just one or two, it is not taken as seriously. Maybe the answer is that because it's such an important uh, matter and such a significant matter, you know, they say we need more to be convinced. Whatever it is, I'm not going to try to justify uh, anyone or speak on anyone's behalf here. Okay? But yes, a person like Fakhr al-Razi, um, who, uh, who has that very famous um, uh, tafsir of Mafatih al-Ghayb or Al-Tafsir al-Kabir, what does he say? When he's listing the uh, possibilities of what this verse is actually talking about, Possibility number 9 out of 10, if I'm not mistaken, is the one that he dedicates to it being the Holy Prophet saying something about Ali ibn Abi Talib on that day of Ghadir Khum. So as you can see, all the hadiths that will be in those books and sources, they will not be taken that seriously. Maybe they have in their eyes, they're not, they're not strong hadiths, whatever it is. But all in all, brothers and sisters, when you bring these context clues together, those five, six, seven, eight, how many, however many they were that I mentioned, it tells you that there's something different going on here. Even if you don't want to accept what the Prophet, if the Prophet actually meant Khilafah for Ali ibn Abi Talib, but you can at least say this is when the Prophet raised Imam Ali's hand and said to the people what he said. Um, but the Shi'i school, of course, here is very clear on this. Page number 120 of the Holy Qur'an. The Qur'an has spoken again another final verdict on Jesus salam. So if you remember, this might be, I think, the fourth page now actually that we have dedicated to uh, Prophet Isa salam. And so you can tell that this, uh, and this is interesting, as I said, uh, Surah Ma'idah is the final um, or one of the final surahs, uh, I haven't looked into this, that's why I keep saying one of the final, if not the final surah revealed to the Holy Prophet And so uh, it's interesting how you will find that there's a lot of mention of Prophet Isa salam in this surah. Um, and of course other, uh, the previous surah as well, we had Surah Al-Nisa uh, as well. Uh, but the main ones, I would say, one was on page um, 110 uh, of the Holy Qur'an, one was page 103, one was page 105. So the one that talks about the cross and the cross uh, not being true and the crucifixion of, of Prophet Jesus not happening, that was page 103. Page 105 gave us the final verdict the first final verdict that we had for Prophet Isa where it started with La Dinikum. Ya Ahl Kitab, La Dinikum. Don't exaggerate when it comes to Prophet Isa You can go back and check that, brothers and sisters. Page 110 is when God was triggered, if you remember. And Allah said, Do you want me to destroy uh, Prophet Isa and Lady Maryam and everyone on, on, on the face of the earth? That showed that Allah was very angry. And of course Allah won't do that, but He's just letting us know how big a statement it is 
when we say that Isa is God or you know maybe son of God, uh, from what I remember, that verse was speaking about those who said that uh, uh, Isa is Allah Himself. So anyway, we've had these pages before. This one also is speaking about uh, Jesus, and so we'll get to the details of that. There, there are there are um, a, a good number of verses that I want to cover here, and um, and then we'll discuss them, inshallah. Verses number uh, 72 to 75 of Surah Al-Ma'idah. وَقَالَ الْمَسِيحُ يَا بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلَ اعْبُدُوا اللَّهَ رَبِّي وَرَبَّكُمْ إِنَّهُ مَنْ يُشْرِكْ بِاللَّهِ فَقَدْ حَرَّمَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ الْجَنَّةَ وَمَأْوَاهُ النَّارِ وَمَا لِلظَّالِمِينَ مِنْ أَنْصَارِ لَقَدْ كَفَرَ الَّذِينَ قَالُوا إِنَّ اللَّهَ ثَالِثُ ثَلَاثَةَ وَمَا مِنْ إِلَهٍ إِلَّا إِلَهٌ وَاحِدٌ وَإِنْ لَمْ يَنْتَهُوا عَمَّا يَقُولُونَ لَيَمَسَّنَّ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا مِنْهُمْ عَذَابٌ أَلِيمٌ أَفَلَا يَتُوبُونَ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَيَسْتَغْفِرُونَهُ وَاللَّهُ غَفُورٌ رَّحِيمٌ مَا الْمَسِيحُ ابْنُ مَرْيَمَ إِلَّا رَسُولٌ قَدْ خَلَتْ مِنْ قَبْلِهِ الرُّسُلُ وَأُمُّهُ صِدِّيقَةٌ كَانَا يَأْكُلَانِ الطَّعَامَ انْظُرْ كَيْفَ نُبَيِّنُ الْآيَاتِ ثُمَّ انْظُرْ أَنَّا يُؤْفَكُونَ They are certainly faithless who say Allah is the Messiah. So the ones who say this are the faithless ones. Allah is the Messiah, son of Mary. But the Messiah had said, O children of Israel, worship Allah, my Lord and your Lord. Okay, so they're saying He's Lord, He's saying God is Lord. And so when He's saying God is Lord and worship Him, that means I'm not Lord anymore. Indeed, whoever ascribes partners to Allah, Allah shall forbid him entry into paradise, and his refuge shall be the fire, and the wrongdoers will not have any helpers. They are certainly faithless who say Allah is the third person of a trinity. While there is no God except the one God, if they do not relinquish what they say, there shall befall the faithless among them a painful punishment. Will they not repent to Allah and plead to Him for forgiveness? Yet Allah is all forgiving, all merciful. The Messiah, son of Mary, is, not, is but an apostle. Certainly other apostles have passed before him. Like, what's wrong? Why are, you make, why are you singling him out? And his mother was a truthful one. Both of them would eat food. Look how we clarify the signs for them and yet look how they go astray. Okay, so once again, you can tell Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is pretty upset with this idea of the Trinity. Okay? So let's discuss all of these verses here. There are some details that I think are important. And so the brothers and sisters now will get a good idea of how bad some of these, uh, some of these teachings of Christianity are in the eyes of Islam. As I've said before, and we will cover this in our next session as well probably. I, in other words, I will, um, I will remind us uh, of this matter that look, um, no matter how good the people of a faith are and how kind they might be and how much the faith teaches love and all of that, which is good, but um, at the end of the day, Islam will not compromise when it comes to pointing out the major flaws of the major flaws of the teachings of a faith. 
that have been altered, in our opinion at least. Yes? It's cool. Inshallah, in our next session we'll talk about this a little bit. The people of a faith might be very good. The Qur'an will acknowledge that, that even, and will point out that some of them are very good people. But look, that does not mean that the teachings, some of them have been adulterated, have been changed and altered by those who did what they did for whatever reason they did it. Okay, so let's go through this now. There are two things I want to point out here in these verses. Number one is that, look, it's talking, first it's put, it puts its finger on those who said, إِنَّ اللَّهَ هُوَ الْمَسِيحُ بْنُ مَرْيَمْ It puts its finger on those who say that Jesus is Lord. Okay, so when we talk about the Trinity, okay, the Trinity, it says it's one in three, three in one, right? One in three and three in one. And so I don't, I can't recall any scholars out there who will refer to the Christian faith as a faith of shirk and that the Christians are mushrik and, and polytheists. You won't find, excuse me, scholars um, who will say something like that. Why? Because, why, why do I even bring this up? The reason why I bring this up is because when you say three, okay, when you say three, three sounds like polytheism, right? More than one God. But we have to remember that they will say, no, 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 it's one in three, three in one. And if you ask them in the end, how many gods are there? They will say one God and one God alone, right? So I don't, I don't, I don't, I can't think of any of our scholars who say that they are mushrik because they say three, because in the end they emphasize that we believe in one. All right, having said that now, um, let's go back to the verses. The verses, verse number 72 and then verse number 73, it seems they are putting their finger on each of these two aspects of the Trinity that I just mentioned. Verse number 72, it seems to be putting its finger on one in three. Okay, and then verse number 73 is putting its finger on three and one. So I'll repeat that. Ver the first verse of these two, okay, so we have verse 72, we have verse 73. The first of these two is putting its finger on the aspect of one in three of the Trinity. And then the, the second verse is putting its finger on the aspect of three in one of the Trinity. Okay, let's talk about this now. It says, لَقَدْ كَفَرَ الَّذِينَ قَالُوا إِنَّ اللَّهُ وَالْمَسِيحُ بْنُ مَرْيَمُ Those who said, Jesus is Lord, yes, this is kufr that they have. This is disbelief that they have. We, uh, the, the Qur'an is condemning this idea and saying that it's wrong. This is kufr. Anyone who believes in this knowingly, they are kafir. Okay? You see, it doesn't talk about three at all here, brothers and sisters. It says, talks about the one aspect, the fact, the oneness aspect of the Trinity, the one in three, right? This one Lord that, of course, is going to go into three, okay? However you want to explain that and understand it, but that's not the part we want to talk about, the three side. Right now we want to talk about the, the unity of it, the oneness of it, where we say Jesus is Lord. That is the problem. That is a big problem. They have kufr. This is not, as a matter of fact, there is no deity and divinity in, in, in Isa salam. Why? Because he's told the people, worship Allah, my Lord and your Lord. And so, how dare you call Isa a God? 
All right. But then the next verse puts its finger on three and one. And it says very clearly, That, hey, remember, know this as well. The ones who say three in one, and that God is one of the three, or the third of the three, this is also kufr. One of the three, or three of the, the third of the three, whatever you want, however you want to word it, and translate, and however you want to translate the verse, saying, no, 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 how, how do you even say that there's three of them? There's only one God. Ma min ilahin illa ilahun wahid. There's only one God. So how can there be three? Wait a minute. If there's only one God, how can he be the third of three or one of three? That, that doesn't make sense, in other words. Yes? And I feel that that's why Allah has followed Thalithu Thalatha with this. Ma min ilahin illa ilahun wahid. That means, look, I'm just reminding you that we, we just said, you just said one. So where's this three coming from? <laughs> if they don't watch out what they're saying, they're going to be in big trouble. A very painful punishment will befall them. All right, so this is uh, the, the, this is up to here. But then it goes on to show and point out something very, very key when it comes to identifying if somebody is a god or not. Okay, this is very important here. It says, Mal ibn Maryam illa Rasul, The Messiah, son of Mary, is but an apostle. Why? Certainly other apostles have passed before him and his mother was a truthful one. Why is he not a god? Both of them would eat food. Kana yakulani ta'am they would both eat food because there might be some who believe that who might even worship lady maryam or revere her to the point that he she is also deity no no these two were both eating food like everybody else in other words if you eat food you ain't no god i'm sorry how can you claim to be god or how can you be god when you need to eat food you be tripping like <laughs> Fir'aun, like how can you say you're God when you eat food and you have all these other needs and, and limitations, right? So the, the fact that they would eat food shows that they're not deity. So how, why, are you even, why, why is this even a discussion? So this is very important and it reminds you of the verse of the Qur'an that we have, Surah Furqan, verse 20. That it talks about other prophets as well. That we have to, at the end of the day, not put them on such a pedestal as if they or something super special and they were like angels or something or they were gods or something. No. Um, and the people should expect only that these types of individuals will be sent to them as prophets. The ones that are like them. Allah's not going to send angels down to us as prophets. He's going to send down human beings to us as prophets. Verse number 20 of Surah Furqan speaks of something similar here. It says that وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَا قَبْلَكَ مِنَ الْمُرْسَلِينَ إِلَّا Now here I've written إِنَّهُمْ لَيَأْكُلُونَ الطَّعَامُ وَيَمْشُونَ فِي الْأَسْوَاقِ That we didn't send the prophets before you except that they would eat food. They would walk in the marketplaces. So they're like normal human beings. That's it. Now here we have Prophet Isa salam. We know that prophets came before him. If previous prophets were eating and walking in, in the marketplaces, and Prophet Isa, according to this verse, also eats, then how can he be a god? And it's very sad that something this clear, 
um, that is, you know, clearly false has become such a thing uh, until today that you know the biggest the, the biggest faith has such an uh, has such an ideology in it and uh, a belief of Prophet Isa salam being God. Now, when we have dialogue, of course, um, we will keep the respect, right? Just because we feel that something is totally batil, totally false, doesn't mean we, we don't keep respect if we're going to have dialogue, if we're going to have discussions and debates even with um, adherents of the Christian faith, yes? All of this um, talk that we have right now, all of these verses that we discuss are so that the Muslims understand that, okay, this is a totally unacceptable tenant, a totally unacceptable belief. But doesn't mean now that any disrespect shall ensue either. Before I end, just want to point out one more point. Some have said, because the verses, verse 72 says, the ones who say this are kafir, and then verse 73 says, the ones who say this are kafir. Some have thought that these verses are talking about two different types of Christians. But other mufassirin have said no. Um, it's not the case that there were some Christians who believed that God is Masih, there are others who believed in Trinity. No, it's talking about the same people, but it's looking at them from different angles. So that's also a point uh, I thought, um, an, an interesting point that I thought uh, I would point out that yes, there are some in the past who thought that you know there were different denominations of Christianity, but no, we, we don't believe that uh, the verses are speaking like that. The verses are speaking of one group, which is the Christian faith in its entirety. And it's saying, look, both from this angle we have a problem, if you're saying that Jesus is Lord, and from the Trinity aspect as well, from the three-in-one aspect as well, an angle, we have a problem here as, as well. That how can you say that when there's only one God that you are to pray to? Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Allahumma nawar qulubana bil Qur'an. وزين أخلاقنا بالقرآن ونجنا من النار بالقرآن وأدخلنا الجنة بالقرآن اللهم اجعل القرآن لنا في الدنيا قرينا وفي القبر مونسا وعلى الصراط نورا وفي الجنة رفيقا ومن النار سترا وحجابا وإلى الخيرات كلها دليلا برحمتك يا أرحم الراحمين والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته